Welcome to the Perfect Puzzle and our continuing study of the Bible. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 30 to start this morning uh, podcast. And I just want to have a word of prayer before we start. Father, I ask you, above all, that you guide me in this teaching, Father, that you help me put across your thoughts and your intentions of why the things you've written in Scripture are there, Father. They're there for our learning, for our edification, and for our knowledge. And it's up to us to seek out the truth, Lord, and to seek out what you have to say. As your word says, here a little, there a little. And uh, please help us as I try to pick up the pieces of those little, here a little, there a little, and put them into a coherent message from you, Father. I ask you, Lord, to guide us, that you open our hearts, minds, soul, and spirit to your word and to the things you have to teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Last time, we were talking about the return of Christ and how Moses and Isaiah predicted it. We're going to pick it up there, and this time we're going to bring it all the way up to the 20th century, to around 1948 or thereabouts. Now, the prediction of Moses concerning the rebirth of Israel and their gathering back to the land in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 4, poses an interesting question. Because Moses definitely says Israel will become a nation again only after they repent and after the Lord returns to regather them. We're forced to ask a question that has enormous consequences for the prophetic significance of our generation. And the the question is, why was Israel allowed to become a nation again on May 14, 1948, seeing that they have not yet repented and believed in Christ, nor has the Lord returned to regather them. You know, the nation of Israel clearly represents Jews gathered in unbelief. That's the opposite of what Moses said. And I'm going to try to put across the point here that all of this is getting ready for the fulfillment of what Moses had to say. For the first time in almost 2,000 years, though, the Jews have regained control over, the, over Israel, including the city of Jerusalem. And the events should not be underestimated. In our generation, in my generation anyway, Israel has again been established as a self-autonomous nation in the Middle East, beginning to exist soon after World War II as a totally independent state free from any foreign domination, that's a situation that's not been true for centuries. And how could this have happened? Because the Bible clearly states Israel will remain under the judgment of God for rejecting the Messiah until they repent. And yet the fact of the modern day state of Israel, you just simply can't be ignored. So what's going on? What is God doing? Is present day Israel really a fulfillment of prophecy? Or is it just a blip on the pages of history? Now, many authors writing on end times prophecy have quoted similar passages 
to those I've mentioned in previous sessions and have attempted to interpret all of them as finding fulfillment in the nation of Israel today. But extreme care must be taken how these scriptures are applied because misinformation can be worse than remaining ignorant. Now I want to give you a point that I, I firmly believe. The only time that I have ever made mistakes in trying to interpret what prophecy means is when I have ignored the literal sense of what God's prophets said. You know, the current state of Israel remains very antagonistic to Jesus and Christianity, and that can't be made by any stretch of the imagination to completely fulfill the prophecy of Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The nation has by no means repented, Obviously, Jesus has not returned to regather them. You know, Christians who simply apply biblical prophecy to any current situation, regardless of the details, which may or may not fit, are just confusing people and inviting valid criticism. In fact, several books have been published over the years by authors who have realized that this is a serious deficiency in interpreting prophecy. But unfortunately... They've used the numerous incorrect prophetic inter interpretations about Israel as proof in their attempt to refute the nearness of Christ coming altogether. In, in his book, Israel Today, Fulfillment of Prophecy, you know, it's a question, Louis de Caro states in no uncertain terms that only a misunderstanding of the prophet prophetic tradition or a deliberate disregard for that tradition's true standing can lead one to believe that the power politics and military posture of Israel today are an integral part of prophecy. Now, DeCaro's description of the political situation in modern Israel was perfectly accurate and it remains true today. It is only by their strong military resolve which yields no ground to potential adversaries that the small Jewish nation has managed to survive at all. The faith of the people doesn't rest in the true God of the Bible. Their faith rests in tanks, missiles, and jet fighters, exactly the opposite of what the Lord wants. And there can be no doubt that the political and religious life of 20th century Israel is diametrically opposed to the ways of their Creator. William Hendrickson realized that fact when he wrote, It has now become clear that the establishment of the State of Israel, May 14, 1948, in unbelief for those who established it, are still rejecting the Christ. That that has nothing to, whatsoever to do with divine prophecy. This is true for two reasons. Prophecy says nothing about a 20th century return and restoration. And B, even if it did, it speaks about a return of a believing remnant. Now that's from Israel and Prophecy by William Hendrickson, published 1979 by Baker Bookhouse. Reginald Shores, Ranald Shores, writing in the magazine Israel My Glory, that's, that's published by the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry Incorporated, has also recognized additional problems in trying to, trying to fit modern-day Israel into these prophecies. Now he says... The present restoration of Israel to the homeland, which began in the middle of the 20th century, is not the fulfillment of these prophecies. 
several things indicate this. First, these prophecies foretell a total restoration of Jews to their land from all the nations of the world. Blah, 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 blah. I have to agree with him. It's not fulfillment of Moses' prophecy. But for me, it's the, it's the stage being set for the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because many other authors have spoken out against the possibility of the current nation of Israel being a fulfillment of prophecy by claiming that most of the Old Testament predictions related to a Jewish return to the land already have found fulfillment of the rebirth of Israel after the Babylonian captivity. However, while there are indeed prophecies which predict the return of the Jews after the Babylonian period, those prophecies are extremely specific, and only a complete misunderstanding of their focus could confuse them with those relating to a return at the end of the age. For instance, both Jeremiah and Daniel prophesied that the Lord would allow the Jews to return to Palestine exactly 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar's invasion. That's Jeremiah 25:11, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah was so enlightened concerning the event, he even went so far as to give us the name of the Persian king, Cyrus, who would eventually let his people go. That's Isaiah 44:28. And I can't deny the reestablishment of Israel after the destruction of Judah by Babylon was a very significant event in biblical history. But it doesn't totally fulfill the numerous prophecies which relate to the ultimate ingathering and blessing of the nation as a whole. Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy clearly speaks of conditions that are quite different from those known to have been present after the return of the exiles in Ezra's and Nehemiah's day. Deuteronomy tells of a complete regathering where God's people will no longer be scattered among the nations, but will According to Deuteronomy 30, verse 8, Obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments. If this repentant condition was true of the return allowed in the 5th and 6th centuries B.C. under Persian rule, then the scattered state of the Jews would not have continued to the time of Christ. People certainly would have received Jesus as their Messiah when he showed up. <clears throat> so obviously... Moses must be talking about a yet future rebirth of the nation, one that will be followed by the fulfillment of all the blessings promised to Abraham. Now, I personally believe the current situation in Gaza with Hamas and what's happening in the world with anti-Semitism on the rise is going to prompt a Jewish return from the nations, just like it was predicted. And so how should we view the modern state of Israel that's gathered in unbelief? Is it a the nation that was born on May 14, 1948, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Or is it just an anomaly of history without any supernatural significance, kind of similar to the brief revolt of the Maccabees during the 2nd century B.C.? You know, curiously, Throughout the history of the church, there have always been some that believe that Israel's rebirth would precede the return of Christ. 
While it's true that some had written of the rebellious Jews as never figuring into God's plan again, applying their promised blessings totally to the church, the expectancy of a regathered Israel never completely perished, particularly among the Jews. The confusions resulted from wrong interpretations or from just plain denial of Israel's significance shouldn't keep us from discovering the end times truth. There are just too many prophecies that deal with a regathered Israel in the last days to simply ignore the importance of the nation's existence today. You know, there, there has to be an explanation within the Bible for the rebirth of Israel in our time even if it has now occurred in unbelief and is not total in scope. Some people may think that because the nation exists today, either the Lord's judgment of scattering somehow must have mysteriously ended, even without Israel's repentance, or that God has some other plan in mind, which he hadn't said anything about, no one's yet understood. You know, whatever your opinion on the matter, there's one thing that's going to become clear. The rebirth of the nation of Israel in our generation is not a fluke. You know, the Lord has not gone off somewhere and overlooked what's happening. He's in full control. In fact, we're going to soon see Israel is heading for a day of destiny, racing at them at an accelerating pace. Because the key to what's happening in Israel today rests not with Moses, but in the prophecies of Ezekiel because the book Ezekiel is a tremendous apocalyptic writing of almost mystical character. The visions of future events described within its pages are rich with metaphors, symbolic action, all of them flowing to the beat of a loving but jealous God. And we're soon going to see many of Ezekiel's key predictions relate directly to prophecies about the rebirth of Israel in 1948. You know, Ezekiel was held in a refugee camp outside the city of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar's second attack upon Judah, one of the most trying, some of the most trying times in Jewish history. And the Lord gave him insights into the future of his people that were so detailed, they're rarely paralleled in any other book of the Bible. And it's among those prophecies that we can find our 20th century Israel clearly described. Now, if you turn to chapter 36 of Ezekiel, I previously quoted from uh, verses 17 to 19. That's where the reason for Israel's judgment was given. In that passage, the Lord tells us plainly, Israel was scattered among the nations because they defiled the land of Palestine, or Israel, with their evil ways. I don't like using the word Palestine because it's a not the name. The name of the name of that area and country is Israel. But I will use the word Palestine when it, when it applies for those of you who may not understand that. But beginning with Ezekiel verse 20, God continues his discussion He's going to add several important details. It's going to help us piece together the puzzle of Israel's fate far into the future. Excuse me. <coughs> and when they entered unto the nations to which they went, they profaned my holy name 
when they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for my holy name, which is the house of Israel, had profaned among the nations to which they went. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the nations to which ye went. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Ezekiel 36, verses 20 to 24. I want you to note the tone there. Uh, that sounds like the Jewish people really want to go back because the Lord said he's going to take them. I think we see some of that happening even today in our day-to-day -day news with the situation in Gaza and anti-Semitism. Uh, the applications for immigration of Jews back to the land is really picking up. It's up uh, over 100% in some European countries. The mystery of the present-day return of Israel to their land is at least partially revealed within the Lord's words from Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 20. He records the details of the broken spiritual relationship among the scattered Jews and the, and the God that they denied. He also carries the scope of the prophecies all the way up to a time in which the Lord says he will regather Israel from among the nations and bring them back to their own land. However, the details of this regathering are a lot different from those in Moses' original prophecy back in Deuteronomy 30. In fact, the reason for Israel's rebirth in Ezekiel's prophecy seems to involve just the opposite spiritual condition. In this passage, the Lord is said to actually become angry with his rebellious people for profaning his name among the nations. Now, how is Israel supposed to have profaned his name? Now, the answer to that question is actually is pretty fascinating. When the Lord suffered the judgment of exile from the land of Israel, I mean, sorry, when the Jews suffered the judgment of exile from the land of Israel, the nations of the world eventually saw what was happening to them and how badly they were treated. And they said, in essence, you know, they're supposed to be God's people. They're being defeated and scattered out of his land. In other words, the people of the world, the Gentiles, looked at the severe treatment that the Israelites suffered and blamed it directly on the Lord, pointing their fingers and saying, what kind of God can their God be if he lets these evil things happen to his own people? And unfortunately, the nations of the world couldn't understand the full scope of the situation. They couldn't comprehend the Jews are under a curse from the Lord for turning away from him and denying his son. And anything bad that may have happened to them among the nations was a tragic result of that broken relationship. Moreover, when the Jews were banished from their land as the after effect of rejecting their Messiah, 
They still profess to be God's people, even though they were really not. Now, there's nothing worse than pretending to be a child of God. Jesus blasted the Pharisees in this regard, calling them whited sepulchers, which looked nice and clean on the outside. On the inside, they were nothing but dead men's bones and rotted carcasses. And Jesus' reference there is on their holy days, like at Passover, when uh, pilgrims and people that had been had moved to the other nations returned to Israel for the uh, Passover, they would go out cemeteries and paint and uh, whitewash all the graves. In other words, Jesus was saying, you look like a bunch of dead people that somebody forgot to bury. For centuries, the Jewish people have put on the facade of being God's people. And when the persecution that Moses predicted came upon them with fury, the nations of the world observed their plight and accused the Lord of being evil. What a cruel irony. The very same God that was willing to become a man and be crucified for them out of his unbelievable love was wrongfully seen by the nations as being wicked for letting the Jews be persecuted. And how does Ezekiel predict that the Lord will, will do about this injustice? Justice. He says God's going to clear his holy name himself. In fact, he says what God is planning to do, he doesn't do it for the sake of Israel, but solely for his namesake, which is profaned among the nations. According to Ezekiel 36:24, the Lord is going to correct the wrong that has been committed to his name by reversing the scattering process and bringing his people back to their land. There could be no doubt. This passage clearly tells of a future time when Israel's regathering from the nations will be brought about by the Lord, not as a result of his mercy for a repentant people, but out of anger at a people who continue to wallow ceaselessly in their sin. Now, some have tried to contend this prophecy is essentially the same as the one given by Moses. Because Ezekiel goes on to say the Lord's going to cleanse them of their iniquity and give them a new heart. Now, using this line of reasoning, it's theorized that Ezekiel didn't put everything in a strict chronological order. Therefore, it only appears that Israel will be regathered before they repent. However, Ezekiel starts the prediction of Israel's cleansing in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, with the word, then. And if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you know that word, then, a very important word, because it's a start of a, depend, of a dependent clause, implying that something else has happened before it. And that something was obviously the regathering of Israel in Ezekiel 36, 24. The Lord then goes on to say through Ezekiel that the regathered nation would loathe themselves because of their evil ways. He even reminds them again that everything he's causing to happen is designed to vindicate God's holy name, and it's not for Israel's sake at all. And if this were the only passage in Ezekiel or in the entire Bible which spoke of a rebirth of the nation and in unbelief, then the case for the modern-day state of Israel being a fulfillment of prophecy 
might be somewhat less certain. But fortunately, the Lord's not left us without an abundant supply of other prophecies, prophecies that clearly reveal what's happening today. Ezekiel 37 is probably the most well-known prophecy of Israel's rebirth in the entire Bible. The chapter begins with Ezekiel being transported by God's Spirit to a valley full of dead men's bones. The Lord first causes him to pass through this barren graveyard, telling him to carefully observe the dried-out state of the skeletons. And when Ezekiel is thoroughly awed by this silent burial ground, the Lord asks him a kind of a curious question. God says, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, the natural reaction to such an impossible question would be to laugh and say, oh, No way. Ezekiel, however, considers very carefully who's posing the question before he answers it. He very diplomatically says, Oh, Lord God, you know. Uh, you see, Ezekiel knew that only the Lord could hold the possibility of life or death in his hands when faced with such a hopeless burial ground of bones. After all, what could appear more impossible to the limited resources of man than bringing back to life dead and decayed bodies. However, no sooner does Ezekiel respond to the question that the Lord tells him to prophesy about the resurrection of these same old bones. And as soon as Ezekiel finishes his prophesying, he hears the bones begin to move and come together. And he watches his bones join bones in the proper manner, Tendons, ligaments, muscle, and skin begin to form upon their limbs. But at the very point where the body seemed to be whole again, Ezekiel makes an observation that has significant implications for understanding Israel's condition today. Ezekiel notices that at first, all of these people are put back together as though they could be alive but none of them are actually breathing. The Lord then commands him to prophesy to the wind and cause breath to enter into the people. This Ezekiel does, and immediately they are said to stand upon their feet as an exceedingly great army. So how does this fantastic story fit into a discussion of the nation of Israel being reborn? In the verse Verses that follow, verses 11 to 14, the Lord goes on to explain the symbolism that he created in a vision. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off on our part. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So Ezekiel's entire vision was concerned with the regathering of a long-dispersed and, dispersed and seemingly hopeless nation of Israel. Now, they'd been scattered for so long as, as though all prospect for their revival was lost. Uh, 
but just as the probability that a valley full of skeletons could somehow get up on their feet and walk seemed astronomical, so was the situation of the continually persecuted Jews among the nations. Thousands of years of captivity had taken its toll, and in their hearts the Jewish people were ready to give up. However, the Lord had a plan that would give his people a hope for the future. He promised that someday he would take them out of their graves and bring them back to the land of Israel, their graves being the continued state of their dispersion, scattered and spiritually dead among the nations. It's a perfect play on words in Hebrew relating to the vision that Ezekiel had just experienced. Notice also what the Lord says he's going to do after he brings them out of their graves. He says he will put his spirit in them and they will live. In the first part of Ezekiel's vision, it was said that the wind blew and breath entered into them so they could live. Now, in the Lord's interpretation, the Holy Spirit is said to enter into his people to give them life. Not only is there an obvious symbolic connection between the breath of Ezekiel's vision and the spirit of the Lord's explanation, but I hate to disappoint you, they're actually both the same word in the original Hebrew. When Ezekiel saw the bones coming up out of their graves and being assembled with no breath in them, he's symbolically seeing the nation of Israel regathered while still spiritually dead and in a state of unbelief. In the Lord's eyes, his long-scattered people can't really begin to live until his spirit is given to them. Now, in a New Testament sense, we know that the Holy Spirit is given only to those who repent of their sins and receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. There's not any exception to that rule, even with respect to the nation of Israel. Therefore, although it's not actually stated in this passage, the reality of Israel's repentance subsequent to their rebirth is certainly implied. And if Ezekiel alludes to a national repentance, then perhaps even Moses' prophecy can be seen to fit into the prophetic scheme of things. To get a full understanding of all the prophecies of Israel's rebirth and how they fit together, we need to consider one important passage from Ezekiel. The set of verses shows us that God predicted Israel would be restored with fury poured out. And this reflects exactly what happened in the years before and during 1948. Ezekiel chapter 20 may be the most important prophetic statement concerning Israel in the entire Bible. What is recorded in that chapter is a brief narrative by the Lord on the entire history of Israel. The curious thing about this particular discussion is that it includes the history of Israel, past, present, and future, because it's written from the standpoint of one who knows the future so well that he can talk about it as though it has already occurred. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 5. God begins by summarizing how he had chosen Israel from among all nations 
and help them in the days of Jacob. He continues by reminding them how he had searched out a beautiful land especially for them, and they miraculously brought them forth out of Egypt to inhabit it. And the Lord says the only stipulation demanded of Israel before they reached that land was they turn away from all the evil of the nations and instead follow his ways. However, before they could even get out of the wilderness of Sinai, God says in Ezekiel 20:13, the house of Israel rebelled against me. And those same sad words are repeated again and again throughout Ezekiel 20. At every point in their history, it's almost as if these words became the proverb for Israel's dealings with God. And the Lord explains he could not allow this rebellion to continue because the entire world is watching. If his people were labeled as evil, then the nations might believe the Lord was evil also. The Lord therefore says in verse 14, I wrought for my namesake that it should not be polluted before the nations. Now notice the similarity of that passage to Ezekiel 36.21, where this is what God says he did as a result of their rebellionists in the wilderness of Sinai. I lifted up mine hand unto them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. That's verse 15, Ezekiel 20. So instead of entering the promised land, that entire sinful generation perished in the desert, never being allowed to even so much as see, see the land. Sinai Peninsula, which is a, a literal wilderness, then became a wilderness of sin that devoured the disobedient people. The same symbolism concerning the wilderness is carried on throughout the chapter in a very interesting way. First, the Lord instructs the surviving children to be careful to follow his ways and not let the evil of their parents influence them. That's verses 18 to 20. However, in the very next statement, God reveals the behavior of these people and their descendants when they finally came to live in the promised land. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. You know, previously seen, the nation of Israel continued in this rebellious state until the ultimate curse finally happened of being scattered among the nations. And it's important to recall that history because the terminology the Lord uses in Ezekiel 20 describing their scattering and eventual regathering is developed in a fascinating way which just happens to reveal exactly what's happening to Israel today. This is how the Lord describes their scattering. I lifted up my hand unto them also in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them 
throughout the countries. Notice the wilderness described here. It's not the wilderness of the Sinai Desert. Now it represents the land of Israel itself. The promised land that was once a land flowing with milk and honey and blessed abundantly by God had become a spiritual wilderness of unbelief. The evil that had polluted the nation permeated every part of their society to such an extent that eventually the Lord had no choice but to expel them from the promised land. He scattered them among the nations because they had made the land of Israel a wilderness. Now, if you go back to what I said earlier from Ezekiel 36, verses 17 to 24, you're going to find those two passages are nearly identical with respect to the depiction of Israel's spiritual decay and scattering. Not only that, if we read on in chapter 20, we'll discover that the description of their subsequent regathering lends enough detail to what I've said previously that we can finally understand the Israel of our day. Listen to what the Lord says concerning Israel's rebirth in Ezekiel chapter 20. This is verses 33 to 36. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the peoples, will gather you out of the countries in which you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there will I enter in judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So will I enter into judgment with you, says the Lord. Now it can be seen how three chapters in Ezekiel all fit together as one complete prophecy. Ezekiel 36, we're told Israel would be regathered as a direct result of profaning the Lord's name among the nations. Ezekiel 37, we see God's long dead and scattered people are described as being assembled in unbelief, only to be sub sub subsequently revived by the breath of the Holy Spirit. And finally in Ezekiel 20, the Jews who had been scattered out of the wilderness of Israel are prophesied to be brought back to the land for a specific purpose. The purpose is judgment. The Lord says that with fury he will regather them. Now that's an expression of anger, not one of peace. If Moses' prophecy of Israel's regathering after their repentance is the only restoration that can be found in the Bible, as some scholars have contended, contended excuse me, then surely the Lord would not speak in such a judgmental tone here. But the fact remains, in these three chapters in Ezekiel, Israel is seen coming back to their land, not as a result of a repentant heart, but solely due to the Lord's displeasure in their continued sinfulness among the nations. Now look at the history of 20th century Israel. How did they become a nation? Was it because of a national repentance and acceptance of Jesus as Savior? Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. From the very beginnings of the Zionist movement, the drive to reestablish a Jewish nation has been a political ambition 
not a religious gold. Go, and by no stretch of the imagination could you call it Christian. The original mainstream Zionists who were led by Theodore Herzl and Heim Weizmann envisioned a secular, socialist, egalitarian state. That's from the uh, publication Economist, July 20th, 1985. And it was not a, a restoration of national religious Judaism. Today, that basic premise has not changed very much. The Jews of modern Israel rely upon fortress Israel mentality to save them and not upon the Lord of glory. Yeah, there's a con component of Judaism without Israel that is driving them to reclaim the territories of Judah and Samaria. Now, those territories of Judah and Samaria, well, we could call them politically the West Bank today. And there's a drive to even rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But it's not the repentance the Lord seeks. And it's plain to see that the fury associated with Israel's rebirth in 1948 is in direct fulfillment of these prophecies in Ezekiel. Now, the Jews were the victims of many pogroms or persecutions in the decades leading up to their rebirth, especially in Europe and Russia, also in the countries throughout the Middle East. Then coming out of the massive destruction, atrocities, and the holocaust of World War II Europe, the Jews sought refuge away from the tremendous persecutions they suffered among the nations. Many who originally settled there did so. They no longer had a place they could call home, you know. And it, as gruesome as it might sound, Israel probably never would have garnered the support of worldwide Jewry, of Jews worldwide, and of the United Nations itself, if it hadn't been for the evils they went through at the hands of Hitler's demons and Truly, the Lord literally ripped them out of the nations with fury poured out and brought them into the spiritual wilderness of Palestine. At no other time in history can we find the necessary conditions for these prophecies to be fulfilled like they are in Israel of today. Israel is a recognized and accepted national entity been bored from the migrations of millions of Jewish settlers who came from virtually every corner of the globe. And their continued existence is not the result of some divine mistake. God didn't allow them to be reborn by a mere fluke of fate. Israel's presence in the world indicates that the power of a living God is about to bring about the greatest period of prophetic fulfillment the world has ever seen. Our generation is on the verge of becoming one of the most exciting times in all the ages to be alive. But that is only, only if you are a follower of Jesus. And we'll stop here until next time. This is The Perfect Puzzle. Thank you for listening.